Priyanka Chopra is seriously ambitious and proud of it. Since being crowned Miss World in 2000, the powerhouse has built an impressive resume that shows just how multifaceted she is as an actor, producer, and writer. Seeing her on primetime American television for the first time in 2015, many of us shared the words fail us reaction best captured in a text that her now husband Nick Jonas sent to her TV co-star Graham Rogers. Priyanka is wow. But that wow factor is about more than just the Priyanka we all see. The daughter of two physicians serving in the Indian Army, Priyanka convinced her parents to let her live with an aunt in the United States when she was just 13 years old. She moved around the country to Queens, Massachusetts, and Iowa during her high school years. It was an experience that widened her global view, but also made her acutely aware of her perceived otherness. She returned to India for her senior year of high school and enrolled in college to become an engineer. But that plan shifted when Priyanka won the Miss World pageant and in short order became one of Bollywood's biggest stars. While crossover fame can be elusive for some, Priyanka has found meteoric success. If you didn't know her from ABC's Quantico, her starring role in the revamp of Baywatch, or her iconic appearances on the Met Gala red carpet, you are almost certainly privy to the details of her recent marriage to pop star Nick Jonas. Yep, that was a 75-foot-long wedding veil. And Priyanka has used her international stardom to benefit others, too, focusing on building a legacy for the next generation of global citizens. She's a UNICEF Global Goodwill Ambassador for Children's Rights and heads up the Priyanka Chopra Foundation, which works towards providing education and health support to underprivileged children across India. She's also an investor in the Holberton School, an institute educating young people in the technology sector. And she's been an outspoken activist around beauty standards, colorism, and pay parity, regularly sharing her message with her nearly 45 million Instagram followers. Next up is her celebrated return to Hindi language cinema as a co-producer and actor with the recently released film The Sky is Pink, a deeply personal meditation on illness, grief, family, and the endurance of love in which she plays the mother of a teenager suffering from a terminal illness. Sure, Priyanka Chopra may have just settled down, but she's certainly not settling, and conquering the world is her kind of happily ever after. Priyanka Chopra, it is such a pleasure to have you on Unstyled today. It's so good to see you again. Thank you so much. So good to see you too. So The Sky is Pink is a really, really big, important movie. You're an executive producer. You star in it. It's I'm a co-producer. You're a co-producer. But if it's okay with you, I'd love to go back to the beginning. You were Miss World. I mean, you were really super successful in the pageant world. And, and Miss World 2000 is Miss India. What did you learn from beauty pageants? Because I also think that you've been very outspoken about rigid beauty ideals. And also you came of age when you were first starting your career and you felt really self-conscious about how you looked and the fact that you were different. And you felt insecure sometimes about how you looked. And you just said you just worked so fucking hard. You were like, (laughs) I am going to prove everyone wrong. (laughs) I don't think I knew that at that time. Insecurity was a big part of my teenage years. Even when I became an actor, I didn't know how to be the best version of myself. I taught myself that over time. Who taught you? Where did you see it? 
I think being in a pageant, so I want to explain something that I think pageants around the world are very different and viewed very differently than they are in the U.S. In the U.S., we focus a lot of our energies on what the girl looks like and her dimensions and hairspray. Whereas I feel like in pageants around the world, especially with Miss India and Miss World, I can only speak for the two that I've been a part of. They focus a lot on your personality and your ability to carry yourself with confidence, be able to speak to people of all kinds of stratas. It's very important to be eloquent those are things that have really honed amongst us as contestants. So I feel like the two pageants that I was a part of really set me up to be an extremely confident person. Just a few days ago, in fact, there was one video that was floating online on my Twitter feed. And it was an interview I did as an 18-year-old after Miss World. And I was, I was looking at it and I was like, where the hell did I get that confidence kind of from? Because I know every year we hear the same thing. You want to change things. You want to get people dealing I, with issues. I don't want to change things. I can't change things because I'm just one person. But I have got an opportunity and a platform where I can influence people's minds, their thoughts and their actions. And I guess I'd like to... I think it came from upbringing for sure. In a patriarchal country or in a patriarchal world, I might say, my father was the one who told me that you should always have an opinion. You don't have to learn how to cook, you know, focus on your dreams. All of those things that were the stereotype of what a girl should do. My dad was like, no, your life, your choices. So that gave me a sense of confidence like 25 years ago. Yeah, it was amazing. And then the second thing was, I think being at a pageant and competing at such a high level with women around the best from like there were 98 countries or something when they competed and I just knew that I like winning at a very young age and you can't just win by wishing it you have to gain knowledge you have to teach yourself what you want to be and I learned that very young women dance around the idea of wealth so much and it's just like money it's still a very taboo topic among women and I was because we don't make as much of it as the guys do that's of course why. <laughs> no because we're kind of taught to deal with whatever we get and to be happy about it and I'm really trying to push this this sort of like belief that it's okay to be rich to want to be rich because what does that mean to you it's not just about material wealth it's really about having the freedom and the resources to just do whatever the fuck you want to do, you know? I think it's also okay to be successful and be ambitious. I feel like women are often told that she's too ambitious. What the hell does that mean? Well, she's pushy. <laughs> or she's a bitch if she stands up for herself, whereas a guy is like, listen, society has trained us to think like this for a very, very long time. It's going to take a while for us to get out of it, but calling it out is extremely important. I tell young girls all the time, I am crazy ambitious and I see myself being crazy ambitious for a really long time and that's never going to be a hindrance in personal happiness in personal satisfaction in anything I want ambition can be anything whether it is buying a mansion or having five kids or exactly. you know creating your own home or whatever it might be but to have a purpose is so important. And whatever that purpose might be, like now for you, it's going to be your daughter and where you see her life going and how you shape her. But that's your purpose. But that's what I was trying to say. It changes as you go along, right? You wouldn't have imagined having that that kind of feeling, like you said, now after having a kid that you 
experience. Like I couldn't have imagined having the feeling of being married until I got married. And purpose changes as you go along and it can be personal and can be professional. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. And we're taught that all the time, especially as girls, that can you be a great mom if you're a working girl? Can you be a working girl if you have a kid? Those are things that women struggle with all the time because subliminally society tells you that. Yeah. People discuss it at work that... You know, oh, I don't know, she's just had a kid. How's it going to be? Will she be able to give so much attention? Because you can. You absolutely can. I know so many of my peers and my friends that are the primary breadwinners in their families. And I think to find a partner that you really celebrate each other and your wins and don't feel inhibited by each other's success. Do you really feel like you found that in a partner? I absolutely do. I yeah. feel like... Is he your biggest cheerleader? He really is. It's the first thing he told me he fell in love with me for was my drive. And I'd never heard... He seems pretty driven, though, too. Which is what I love about him. Yeah. And we both know our work is extremely important to us, and we celebrate each other's work and each other's wins. I've never had a guy who told me my ambition was attractive before, Nick. Really? He was like, I'm into that. He's like, that's hot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, baby, go win. (laughs) I know. That's what you want in a partner. Totally. You want people to be really turned on by the fact that you're like... (laughs) Up at night making lists, like, what am I going to accomplish tomorrow? Totally. I know. <laughs> I actually I do started do that with 401k today. What do you think about that? <laughs> we were just talking about your new film, The Sky is Pink, and the fact that you were filming that. And I think you were filming that while you were actually simultaneously planning your wedding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just a simple little affair. My commitment to the movie happened in January. It happened before my commitment to my husband. So those were 20 days that. We had gotten all the actors together and my director really didn't want to cut the flow of the movie. And I was just like, it doesn't matter. It's fine. And Nick came down about 10, 20 days before we were supposed to get married and just told me, you know what, focus on your work. I know this is a difficult movie. And him and my mom did all the planning. I just got dressed in my fabulous outfits and arrived. Honestly, the kind of person that you can just leave alone with your mother yeah. and not worry about it. Oh my God, and and not worry about really either, well. either one of them embarrassing you in some way. <laughs> that's the person that you really want to like be with. You know, it just really takes the pressure off. And they get along really well. It's amazing to see. We've always had an amazing relationship. It's never really been mom-daughter. It's always been friends. That's amazing. And was that before your father passed? Yeah, all my life. I mean, yeah, I would get more reprimanded by my mother than I would my dad. But I think once I hit my teens, she and I got really close, like 16, maybe not just before that. Like I was in America during high school. I was living here with my aunts. Mm -hmm. And then I went back to India like 16, 17. Since then, I realized that my mom doesn't have to be like mom-like. She started becoming my friend. She knew about everything in my life. And she's a no judgments kind of person. So it's amazing. So The Sky is Pink. It's such a moving film. And it's based on a true story. So tell me what really spoke to you about this film and why you wanted to do it. When I read the script of this movie, I finished it in about two hours. And there was just something about it that made me sit back and just think about life and loss and my relationship with that. I feel like it's such an important film for families today, for parents, every kind of relationship and a dynamic of a family. This movie is based on a real-life couple, Aditi and Narain, and they have this crazy genetic thing that their children inherit from them, which gives them a disease called SCID, which is Severe Combined Immune Deficiency. So their immune systems just don't develop. 
And most of these kids don't live past four or five. But Aisha, she lived up to 18. She wrote a book. She gave a TED Talk about happiness and about embracing life. I feel the only thing that truly matters to me is being happy. And happiness is a choice one makes. It's simply an attitude. And if I have to have pulmonary fibrosis, I choose to have a happy pulmonary fibrosis. In spite and despite of the fact that she had a clock ticking her whole life, she knew it could happen any time. And I just see the positivity with which her family lived their lives with her, the kind of bigness of life they gave her, even if it wasn't going to be long, everything was an adventure. And she was really, really funny, just uh, Aisha was. So whenever you see her talk, because her parents knew that the end could be near any time, they recorded everything. And they had lost another daughter. They'd lost another daughter. But they had a son. They had a son. Who is a central part of the film Mm -hmm. as well. He's kind of this reminder of life and celebrating life in a way. And, And also this sort of devotion of hope that your character has when she finds out that she's pregnant in the beginning of the film and she tells her husband and he's very clearly freaked out because of knowing that this could happen again exactly and she just has such a conviction about wanting to move forward with this child she felt like there has to be a reason why it happened and she reminds me so much of my mom because my mom was like that Everything was about me and my dreams and my ambitions and my aspirations. And she would sit down and do pros and cons with me if I wanted to take a decision that might have been lateral. But there was never a no. It was always like, I never want you to have a what if in your life. And, you know, if more parents are like that with their children instead of imposing their dreams on their kids, kids can achieve so much and have such a crazy sense of confidence. And you see that with Aisha. You see that with me. I think we share that with each other that our parents really gave us such a weapon to face life, which was confidence. Also, the director has such an interesting story. I think there are so many remarkable parallels in this film. I have the director statement right here, and I hope I say her last name right. It's Shonali Bose. Yeah. Yeah, Shonali Bose. And she lost a son. And when he was 16. When he was 16 from an accident. Her son's name is Ishan, and Aisha's brother in this movie, his name is Ishan as well. And it was a crazy coincidence because there are a lot of coincidences that don't that don't actually really seem like coincidences at all. You Almost know? like it was supposed to happen. I yes. feel like so. Aisha saw Shonali's earlier movie, which is called Margarita with a Straw. She saw the trailer of it and mentioned to her parents that I hope I'm alive to watch the movie. And she died two weeks later. So her parents, after she died, reached out to Shonali and said, we want you to tell the story of our daughter um, because we want to keep her memory alive. And Shonali found it really interesting to tell the parents' story from her daughter's perspective, which I think was so amazing in the movie because after the movie was done, I remember Aditi came up to me and she just hugged me and she said that I feel like Aisha's alive again, like she's reborn because... This entire movie is from her perspective and that's exactly how she used to speak and this is her tone and and you've just embodied the spirit of her so much in this movie and my heart was just, yeah, it just got me. I can't even imagine what, a, what an incredible experience that must have been, just knowing all the people that are touching this movie and have this history with this movie. Yeah. I just want to read this quote from Shanali, the director. It's just so beautiful. She just said, 
our skies are in our hands. Society forces us into boxes of how to be and what to do, and we get caught up in the rat race of life, never pausing to experience simple moments. You can paint your sky whatever color you want. Mine is iridescent. It's amazing. So this is a real-life incident when Aditi was in London with Aisha, her daughter, for her treatment. Her son, Ishan, and her husband were in New Delhi, and one night, her son, who was four years old at that time, called her and he was crying and stammering and he'd never stammered before. And he was just like, in art class, the teacher put me in the corner because I painted the sky pink and she said the sky is blue. And I argued with her that when the sun rises and it sets, I, it becomes pink. Yeah. So the sky is pink. He said that, but everyone was calling me foolish and they kept saying I'm buddhu, buddhu means foolish. And he was just stammering and crying and she got so upset with that. And she told him that don't ever let anyone tell you what the color of your sky is going to be. Your sky will be the color you want to make it. I'm never going to let you do that. I picked my sky and it is whatever it is. You will pick yours. And the philosophy of that, I think, is just so amazing because she's right. People put you in a box and tell you that the sky is blue, but it does get pink. It's so interesting that grief is a character in this film mm-hmm. and how grief courses through the couple's relationship. And it's just a really interesting perspective about the people that are left behind by people that die. And I think the way that people deal with it is just so personal. And you don't really even know how to anticipate how you're going to react to it and how you're going to grow from it. And I think that that's the beautiful thing about this film is it shows how the couple changes and their love changes and expands and contracts, you know, throughout their life and also throughout the life of their daughter and then the absence of their daughter. Mm. About 80% as a stat of marriages end up in divorce after you lose a child, including Shonali, who's our director. I'm not um, surprised. Now that I have yeah. a baby, I, I can't even imagine. I think because you can't even imagine going on. It's and like you don't so know hard. Who to blame. Yeah. The loss is so profound. But that's what's so inspiring to me in this movie is that Aditi and Niren's marriage, even now, like now at 55 and 57, they're so flirty. They hold hands when they come into a room. Bless them. They look at each other from across a room and I'm just like, oh my God. But it's so great to see that. They've lost two children, but they've kept and maintained their support and togetherness, you know, which is just so incredible to see. Even Shonali, she's somehow come to terms with grief with the grief of her son. She's accepted it and now lives in joy and light and radiance. um, In 2010, when my son Ishan died, and I was devastated, I I was a wreck. But on the day of his funeral, I was looking at his photograph, beautiful smiling picture, and I felt his voice say to me, Mama, I didn't need to be on earth anymore. And that sentence made me completely accept and embrace his death. You measure life by what you did with that life and, and, and how you gobbled it up. And I felt Ishan and Aisha, they were evolved souls and they gobbled up life. And so they didn't need to be on earth anymore. And I she think says this to me all the time and it really helped me deal with my dad's loss, actually, where she said that when someone goes, their journey on life is done. Everything that they needed to do here is done, whether that's at 10 or whether that's at 100. Birth and death are the two things that you know are going to happen to every human being, yet we're so afraid of it. In fact, you should celebrate the life lived instead of mourning the person that's gone. And it's such a great perspective, actually. I want to constantly remember my dad, who I was really, really close to. The way he lived, the way he laughed, his jokes, his his presence feels like 
it's always with me instead of you know being saddened by it or burdened by it and this movie is exactly that and i think that's why shanali resonated with it so much because the parents do exactly that they may have contracted and expanded and then come back together like you said but eventually what mattered is is celebrating life and the life that their daughter lived When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. So what do you think you learned about relationships and love and marriage? Because I always think it's interesting when big professional moments like this, and I don't even know if you would consider this film to be really seminal in your career, like really defining of a new period that you're moving into because it was the, also the first um, Hindi film that you've done in, in a few years, in right? In three years, yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of this return and obviously you're just so beloved. And also the fact that you fell in love and, and you got married and also really living this partnership in the film, you know, through such a tumultuous life experience. I feel like the irony of that was really challenging at that point that it was the happiest moment in my life and I was filming this movie which was absolutely about loss and that was hard to do but I've now with all these years of working I guess I've been able to compartmentalize really well when I go to set I shed everything that I am as a person how do you do that you become your character you have to know your character so well so I do a lot of prep before I start a movie I talk a lot about my character she almost becomes like my sister or my best friend you know someone like you know if she's put in this situation this is how she'll react and it's like yeah. an out of body experience so when I'm on set in between action and cut especially there's nothing of me that's in it i can't be me because then i react like me whereas you know aditi would react a different way or any other character that i would have played would react a different way so that's something i've learned over the years it wasn't something i knew before but i've been able to hone that in my craft but this movie was particularly hard because i was deliriously happy <laughs> and i had to really channel deep dark spaces in my head and my heart and i remember there was this one scene where aisha decides that she doesn't want to get a lung transplant because she doesn't want to be tied to a hospital bed for another 10 years even if it gives her that much life and her mom wanted that for her that she didn't want her to be always sick and tied to a hospital bed and yeah but when aisha decides that it still like gets her that now time is truly measured and i remember when i was doing that scene i just I couldn't stop crying after she called cut and I was so moved I curled into a ball and Shanali came and hugged me and I just kept saying to her I'm so sorry that you went through this I'm so sorry it happened to you cuz I imbibed so much from her from yeah. Aditi I've never experienced motherhood I can't 
pretend to do it. So to go to that place, I have to imbibe from someone else. And so that was sort of my process of doing it. But it really, really moved me, this film. I think that also you lost your father and you talk about how this was a catharsis. You kind of going through this film, it taught you how to kind of live without him in a different way, you know, and really feel the sort of strength that his memory gave you through this film. And it made me think about my dad, too, because my father passed away in 2010. And it did really feel like a piece of me died, too, because it was like the memory that he had of you, you know, that yeah. he's, he's the only person that had that memory of you. It was wow. just really difficult. And I think that there's something really just precious about being able to confront that in a film that's so beautiful like this. Because I have to say also the film's funny. It's so funny. It's really funny. And you're really funny. <laughs> and um, it's such a strange kind of like the narrator is just so hilarious. She's really like not taking it seriously. She's a teenager and that's how teenagers think, right? And that's why I'm telling you her mom was like, oh my gosh, Aisha used to laugh at the face of death. Yeah. Like she was like, you know, it's going to happen. I just want to live life big. I want everything right now. I want every moment right now. And I, I find that's what's so beautiful about this movie to me is it's not some sad story about a dying kid. It's really yeah. not. It's heroic because not just her, but her entire family laughs at whatever struggles life has given them, whether it's not having money for their treatment, whether it is doing whatever they need to do, but doing it with a smile and laughter and showing her everything about life. Representation has always been really important to you. Tell me what you believe your responsibilities around representation and just making sure that these sorts of strict beauty ideals aren't static in our lives. I feel like beauty is very individualistic. It's like art. It's subjective. Mm -hmm. Something's pretty to someone and something might not be pretty to someone. It's very different for each person. But we have, as an industry and all of us are to blame, I guess, we have sort of set a standard of beauty where, you know, Everything has to look a certain way. I feel like and we're finally moving away from that, though. I mean, I feel like there's a conversation around it. Yes. But I think the work that we are doing in this generation is going to make our kids not have to worry about it. Yeah. We don't think about the right to vote because women back then fought for it, right? Yeah. So that's every generation's responsibility to make it better for the next generation. And I feel like I'm at that place where... On so many levels, when it comes to diversity, inclusion, when it comes to representation, I want to be able to be the conduit of that for girls, immigrant girls across the world that want to come into entertainment. And I feel like when I was in high school in America, I never saw anyone in mainstream U.S. entertainment that looked like me. I mean, I wanted to be Sarah Michelle Gellar when, when I grew up because I was such a fan of Buffy. But it would have been great <laughs> if I... Yeah, I did. And I love her even now. I know, but, I do too. <laughs> but I wish that I had seen someone that looked like me at that point, except for Apu and the Simpsons, which was also like a fictional character played by a white guy. I never saw anyone that was brown at all. And I feel like that is so important. And I'm seeing a lot more happen. Like when I came in here, I was the first South Asian to ever be on network TV as a leading lady or leading cast and that was like what in 2016 I really want to be able to be the shoulders for like I want to create opportunities in whatever little way I can like I'm doing a movie with Mindy Kaling which we're developing it's going to be a buddy comedy for yeah. Universal and it's probably one of the first few mainstream 
comedies with an all Indian or all South Asian star cast. And I'm so excited about being able to create that much opportunity for talent that's South Asian. So representation matters to me. Another thing that's important to me is also exposing the world to Indian cinema. It's a pet peeve of mine when you look up genres when you're watching a streaming service and it says like horror, thriller, Bollywood. Bollywood's been reduced to a genre, which I find really funny, even though we like you've seen this movie. It's a Bollywood movie, but it's a drama. It's like a dramatic piece. We have so many different kinds of Indian cinema, and I really want to be able to expose the world to that as well. And contextualize that. Yeah, and just it's not only set pieces and song and dances. We have that too, which is amazing because India is so musical by nature, but it's also like storytelling. Priyanka Chopra, it's been such a delight to have you on on Style today. It's so good to see you, and congratulations on the film. It's just really, really beautiful. I hope you're inspired after hearing Priyanka's story. For even more unstyled extras, check out Refinery29 or my Instagram at Christine Barbrick. You can also join the conversation using the hashtag unstyled across your social media. And of course, we'd be infinitely grateful if you'd please subscribe to Unstyled on Apple Podcasts and rate us while you're there. You can head over to refinery29.com to find this episode and more. And make sure to sign up for our exclusive Unstyled newsletter, delivered straight to your inbox every week. Our show today was produced by Jay Brunson and Chelsea Sanders, with production assistance by Kate Spencer. This episode was edited by Anna Costanza and Alicia White, and our writer is Leah Carroll. Our theme music today is by the artist Koff, and we recorded Unstyled with Paul Ruist at Argo Studios and Gotham Podcast Studios. We'll be back soon with another Unstyled conversation. Until then, thanks for listening. <laughs>